Over the years, I've heard this statement many times. The Bible never talks about retirement because you're never too old to serve the Lord. Well, part of that statement's true and part of it isn't. God does talk about retirement. Way back in the book of Numbers, uh, God had a mandatory retirement age for all the priests. God said at the age of 50, you've got to step aside. At the age of 50, you've got to give up that senior role and hand it off to somebody younger. And there were two reasons for this policy. Number one, physically, at the age of 50, the priests were just no longer up to the demands of the job. I mean, you've got to keep this context in mind, the book of Numbers. This is when the Israelites are living in a desert, 40 years, always on the move, traveling from one side to the next. And every time they make one of those moves, it's the priest, the job of the priest to set up that tent, that giant tent, the tabernacle. I mean, it's like a giant circus tent. Every time they've got to put this thing in place, it's a big project, a major Undertaking. And of course, the next day, with the next or the next time of the move, they've got to take it all down, pack it up, carry all that heavy wooden metal to the next spot. Well, by the time you reach the age of 50, you're beginning to realize, man, this job is not as easy as it used to be. This job is really better suited to somebody younger and stronger. Isn't it true that as you get older, you begin to recognize some of your limitations? I mean, here I am in my 60s, and I'm beginning to realize I just don't have the energy or the imagination that I used to have back in my 20s and 30s. I move at a much slower pace. My knees and my back just don't cooperate like they used to. It takes me longer to process things. You know, I'll be sitting in a meeting and somebody's proposing something. I say, Wait a minute. What'd you say? Walk me through that a second time. I need to hear that again. It, it just, I just need more time to be able to think things through. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not opposed to change and trying new things. I think that's good and healthy. We need to keep moving forward. Uh, we need to be true to the times in which God has put. Believe it or not, I've got a smartphone. Aren't you impressed? <laughs> not only that, the other day my son TJ uh, ordered me a new iPhone, the latest edition from Apple, the iPhone 7, which means I'm going to be one step ahead of this guy. <laughs> Can you believe that? I've got an iPhone 7. He's still got an iPhone 6. Ain't I cool? <laughs> but here's the problem. I've got this marvelous piece of technology, and I don't have the first clue how to use it. I mean, he's phenomenal with this stuff. I'm not. I mean, I still don't know how to text or download an app or listen to iTunes. I am so way behind the times. That's one of the reasons why God gave those instructions in the book of Numbers. God says there comes a point in time in every person's life when you've got to recognize your limitations and realize, I just can't do what I used to be able to do. And so there comes that moment in time when you've got to step aside and let somebody who's better suited to meet the demands step in and fulfill that role in a more effective way. This is one of the things I find fascinating about the book we're studying now, the book of Nehemiah. Thirteen years before Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem, there's already a leader on the scene, a man by the name of Ezra. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, the Bible that Jesus would read and study as he was growing up in the as a boy growing up in the synagogue, the Bible that the 12 apostles used as they were preaching there in the book of Acts. In the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah was always put on one scroll because the Jewish people considered those two documents to be one book. We have two men, but one story's being told. Two leaders, and yet they're both fighting for the same cause. Both of them trying to get the city of Jerusalem back on its feet again. Here are two men, but they're both pursuing the same goal. And yet... Ezra, Nehemiah are pursuing that goal in very unique ways. In the book of Ezra, the camera, the focus is mainly on the temple. But in the book of Nehemiah, the camera, the focus is mainly upon the walls. 
in Ezra. We see Ezra initiating a lot of wonderful reforms. He's teaching the people how to worship God. He's primarily working with their heart, challenging the people to clean up their act, morally speaking. But in the book of Nehemiah, the, the, the emphasis is more on the hands. Hey, let, rather than the heart, it's, it, let's take that faith that you're already developing that Ezra's been working with for a number of years, and now let's do something with it, something practical. Let's build the wall. See, here's Ezra the scribe and Nehemiah the administrator, Ezra the priest and Nehemiah the cupbearer. Each man uniquely gifted by God, but both of them used by the Lord to put the city of Jerusalem back in the map again. Which means what? Which means sometimes, like you get to Nehemiah chapter 8, and you'll watch Nehemiah step off the stage. Hey, Ezra, this is not my cup of tea. This moment in time, you're better suited to take the lead here. Why don't you handle this? And it's Ezra who steps into the spotlight. And, and for a brief period of time, Nehemiah just disappears. And then other times, you see it's Nehemiah who's up on the platform, and he's leading and directing the people. And Ezra's still around, still one of the leaders, but he's out there in the crowd somewhere working behind the scenes. So that brings us back to the book of Numbers. The second reason why God gave these instructions is to, at the age of 50, the priests have got to step aside. In one sense, they were retiring, but in another sense, they weren't. The second reason why God asked them to step aside, step aside from that role because I've got a new role in mind for you. See, now because of their age and their experience, they'd acquired a wisdom and a maturity they didn't have before. And now they were ready to take on a new assignment, an assignment that back in their 20s and 30s, they wouldn't have had the patience or the maturity to handle. In other words, the second lesson that God has given us there in the book of Numbers is this. There comes that point in time in your life when you've got to step back and say, okay, this season of my life is over. But the only reason it's coming to an end is because God has a new chapter in mind for me. So now it's time to look down the road and consider what's next. Now, what does God have in mind for me? Think about it. How many accidents happened on the highway because people weren't looking down the road? You know, they didn't take the time to notice the construction, the signs that said construction ahead, or, or they didn't see the flashing lights and realize there must have been an accident of some kind. And while everybody else is slowing down, they just keep racing on, and they become a part of the accident. Or how many times have you seen businesses fail because they, they weren't anticipating? They weren't staying up with the times, staying in tune with all the changes taking place in technology, or the changes taking place in the need of their customers. Or you ever watch a game of chess and watch a chess master at work, and you wonder yourself, what makes him better than everybody else? And then you notice he's always studying the board, looking ahead, not just thinking about the next move, but the next four and five moves. That's what this secession Sunday's all about. It's time to close the door, recognize this one chapter of our life as a church has come to an end, but the only reason we close that door is so we can open a new door. So we can begin a new chapter, so we can step into a new season of life and start to consider what's next on God's agenda for new hope. What new challenges does he want us to take on? What new po uh, possibilities does he want us to begin to explore? Yeah, the last chapter is a lot of fun, a lot of great experiences, a lot there to celebrate. But God says we can't stay there anymore. It's time to move on to something new. Here's the picture I have in mind. Think of a bird, little bird, and he's sitting here on the branch. All his brothers and sisters have already left the nest, but he's reluctant to go. Hey, I, I like life on the branch. Life here is really sweet. I mean, I get to sit here all day long and chirp and sing while mom's out there doing all the work, and every once in a while she flies back and drops a worm in my mouth, and life couldn't be any better than just staying here on a branch. And yet the mother bird realizes it can't stay this way. Yeah, the little one was given some feet to walk, 
And the little one was given some talons to cling to the branch, but that little one was given some wings too. And it was given those wings so it could learn how to fly. And it's never going to be the bird that God wants it to be until it begins to fly. So what does the mother bird do? She begins to nudge that little one in a new direction. You know, one day she comes and kind of plops herself down on the branch and kind of crowds up against the little one. So now he has to scoot over. Hey, Mom, you kind of crowd me. I need some space. So he scoots over. And what does she do? She bumps up against him again. And yeah, he has to scoot some more. And she bumps up against him again. And he has to scoot some more. And pretty soon the little one's realizing, man, if we keep this up, we're going to run out of room here in the branch. You keep this up, you're going to knock me off, which is exactly what the mother bird intends to do. Sorry, you can't stay here anymore. It's time for you to fly. And even though it looks cruel, it's actually an act of love. Pretty soon you see that little one tumbling out of the tree, falling through the air, absolutely ter terrified, thinking he's about to die. And that's when the instincts kicked in. The little one begins to flap his wings like crazy, and he begins to soar and move in ways he never dreamed possible. And suddenly there's this wonderful feeling of exhilaration. I can fly? I didn't know I could do that. Hey, I thought life on the branch was sweet, but that's nothing compared to this. But what the mother bird does for the baby bird is exactly what God has to do for every one of us at different stages in our life. He begins to push and say, sorry, you can't stay here anymore. I have something new in mind for you. Do you realize that's how this church got started? Way back in May of 1988, when I first heard the story, that's when I started my ministry here. Those first couple of weeks, I come into the office, church office early every morning, just try to get familiar with the programs and activities of, of this congregation, see what was next on the calendar for New Hope. And then every morning, I just study like crazy so I get myself ready for the following Sunday morning. But every afternoon and evening, I go out and make calls. I wanted to meet the members and find out where they lived and see who all the prospects were. Well, those first three weeks, I made most of those calls with a man named Clyde Bymaster. He was an elder at the time, and he knew where everybody lived, so he could show me where to go. And so those first three weeks, Clyde and I made 137 calls. And the best part about that experience was all the time spent in the car with Clyde, just talking to him, hearing him, and the stories that he told, and especially when he told the story about New Hope. And this is how I got it from Clyde. Clyde told me back in January of 1971, he was an elder at Treasure's Point at that point, and, and he said one night, Dave Roberts, a preacher, came to the board meeting, and he said, okay, guys, what's next? Here we are at the beginning of the new year. What does God have in mind for Treasure's Point? We can't stay where we are. I mean, we've experienced some wonderful things, but it's time to move on. What, what's next on God's agenda? So every one of the elders and deacons pulled out a piece of paper and they began to jot down their ideas. And the one idea that just kept popping up was this, let's plant a church. They'd done it once before with West Lane there at 71st and Grandview. And everybody thought, well, maybe it's time to do it again. And already in the back of his mind, Dave Roberts, he knew where that church could begin, the Boone County Bunch. That's what they called this small group, this small group that would meet every week in the home of Clyde and Martha Bymaster. So Dave Roberts began to talked to Clyde and the other members and said, hey, we've got a church on the west side of Boone County, New Brunswick, great congregation, but there's nothing much on the east side. And boy, what a prophet he was. I mean, at that point in time, east side of Boone County, a bunch of farms, fields of corn, beans, a tiny, believe it or not, tiny village called Zionsville. But Dave knew it's not going to stay that way. That part of the county is going to grow and develop, and we need to have a church in place. So he came to the Boone County bunch and said, you got a good nucleus here. I know it's small. But why don't you branch out and let's see what God can do? Well, you know how scary that is? No property, no building, no preacher. Never done anything like this before. What if we branch out and we fail? 
And besides that, we already got a good thing going at Traders Point. We're part of this growing, thriving congregation. Got a phenomenal missions program. We already got a youth minister. All the kids programs set in place. Everything's set up nice for our families. We got this great preacher, Dave Roberts, who at that point in time was just having this terrific ministry. And then on top of that, we got this wonderful small group, strong, mature Christians who, who have been meeting together for years. And we got these really tight friendships. Boy, life on the branch is really sweet. Why can't we just stay where we are? God kept pushing, and God kept prodding, and God kept opening doors. And a year later, the Boone County Bunch took that leap of faith. And in January of 72, the church was started on this property. Aren't you glad, 44 years later, they took that leap of faith? Aren't you glad they decided not to sit still? Aren't you glad they weren't afraid to ask, okay, God, what's next? Maybe, maybe you don't want us to stay where we are. Maybe you have something bigger and better in mind for our future. And he did. I believe God is giving us that same challenge today. And here are the words, Nehemiah chapter 2, that will guide us into that next chapter. There's a verse I want us to focus upon, verse 17, the first part of verse 18. But before I get to that, let me, let me set the background real quick. The walls of Jerusalem have been down for 140 years. And it looked like it was going to stay that way. See, about 13 years before Nehemiah shows up, before he has an opportunity to do anything, Ezra. He gathered a group of people, brought them out of Babylon, brought them back to Jerusalem, tried to get the city up and going again, and they did a lot of wonderful things. They got the ball rolling, got the momentum started, got everything up and going there in the temple. And then Ezra and his friends said, okay, we got the temple going, it's time to rebuild the walls, and they began to start. But then when they encountered all kinds of opposition, in fact, the enemy attacked and Ezra's not a military man, neither were any of his friends. They couldn't do a thing to stop him. All they could do is just stand there and watch as the enemy came in, tore down the walls, burned all the gates. And then the enemy take this, took this further step. They talked to King Artaxerxes, the king of the Persian Empire, the, 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 the most powerful man on the planet at that moment. And they got him to make a decree that these walls are never to be restored. And all of a sudden, it looked like the dream had died. Everything had come to an end. And everybody thought, are we stuck here? Nehemiah chapter 2, 13 years later, God brings a new leader on the scene. Yeah, we've already got a leader here, Ezra, but we needed a Nehemiah too. And Ezra knows that. Not jealous at all, not threatened in any way, because he recognizes, hey, you know, Nehemiah's got connections I don't. See, for years, Nehemiah had been working for King Artaxerxes. He was part of his inner cabinet, had the king's ear, had the king's trust, had the king's respect. And then through the many prayers that he prayed and the conversations that he had with the king, he got the king's backing. He got that king to reverse the decree. So Nehemiah chapter 2, when Nehemiah shows up in the city of Jerusalem, he shows up with all kinds of timber and building material, and he shows up with this large military escort. And all of a sudden, the citizens of Jerusalem feel a sense of courage like they've never felt before. Hey, look what we've got to work with. God is on the move. We need to join them in this new work. Let's rise up and build. And here's what motivated them to take that action. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Nehemiah's talking to the people. He said, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. That's what happened in Ezra chapter 4. But God says, we can't stay here anymore. We're not going to be satisfied with this. It's time to move on. It's time to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we will no longer be in disgrace. And here's why they knew this plan was going to work. Nehemiah gives a testimony. He said, I told them about the gracious hand of my God was on me. 
See, before they pick up a hammer, before they carry a single stone and set it in place, they already knew they were going to succeed. Why? Because God's hand is upon us. Their testimony is our testimony. I have seen the hand of God upon this congregation. So many phenomenal things he's done in our past. And I'm convinced we're going to see God's hand on this church as we move into the future. Here's the shift that's already beginning to take place today. I step into a new role, a role of teaching and care minister. Still full-time, not retiring. I'm going to work just as hard as I've ever worked before, I promise you that. But now, my work is more off the stage, more behind the scenes. Whereas, we're asking Rob to be more out front, cast the vision, help us as a church to keep our eyes fixed on God's purpose for us, to be disciples who make disciples. One last thing before I ask, let Rob finish the sermon, and I promise his part will be shorter than mine, okay? Martha, you want to join me? Martha and I spent a lot of time talking about this moment, and uh, we wanted to make today special. Wanted to mark the moment and create a memory that uh, just would always be a source of encouragement to Rob and his family from this moment on. So we thought about it. Uh, other preachers, when they have a secession Sunday, they, they take a baton and they hand it on to their successor. But I thought that doesn't fit. Because in those situations, one guy's leaving and the other guy's staying. And that's not what's happening here. Or I've heard of other preachers, when they had a secession Sunday like this, the, the, the predecessor would get down on his knees, take off his shoes and wash his feet. And I thought, that's a little awkward. <laughs> That really doesn't fit our temperament, our relationship. So <laughs> Rob's going, whoo. <laughs> I also thought about uh, last year when I first announced this to New Hope, maybe this is the day I take off the tie, put it on him. <laughs> but that's silly. And, and I don't want this to be silly. I want this to be something special. It's simple but special. So today, Rob, uh, Martha and I just have a personal gift we want to share with you. We want you to know we just feel doubly blessed. Uh, ever since Sarah was born, we pray every day for TJ and Sarah, our son and daughter. But ever since Sarah was born, one of our prayers for her, we, we thought about one day about the man she's going to meet and the man she's going to marry. And we prayed that that would be a man of God. And you are the answer to that prayer. And when we think about how God has answered that prayer, I mean, we get to watch behind the scenes. We, we see stuff you don't. And it's amazing to watch this guy in, in the home, the way he loves Sarah, the way he cares for Caleb, Abby, and Luke, the integrity and character he displays in that home, the godly example he sets for our family. I, we, just, we talk about this all the time. We're just, wow, God answered our prayers, but way beyond anything we would have expected. But the double blessing is this, never in our wildest dreams would we have imagined we'd have such a wonderful son-in-law who's such a great husband to our daughter and such a great father to our grandchildren, but we never imagined we'd be sitting under your ministry. And over these last couple years, uh, the things we've learned as we listen to you preach and the way we've been inspired because you have a passion and a conviction for chasing after Jesus like nobody else. You've got a fire in your heart. And our challenge to you today, Rob, is this. Don't let anyone or anything ever put that fire out. So as a, a personal gift from the two of us, 
and just a public expression of our support and love for you and this new season of your ministry, we wanted to present you with this gift. So proud, so proud. Thank you. Sitting with some friends this past uh, weekend, and they asked me this question. You know, hey, Rob, when you first visited New Hope, did you ever think that you would step into the lead minister role? The obvious answer is no, because you don't really think about those things on a first visit. But the reason behind the no is a little bit more intense. (laughs) My first time visiting this church, I flew up here uh, to drive Sarah from here back to Florida Christian College, where we were doing undergraduate studies. And I flew up here and I visited the church, and I, I had a good time. I'd always been intimidated by David because of his family. His dad was a Bible college president and professor, and, and David would send us his sermons on CDs, which, young people, those are these discs that you put into a, a player, and it projects sound. It's good. But we, we had these CDs, and I'd listen to his sermons all the time, and just like, wow. You know, and it'd, it'd motivate me to work on preaching. And, um, so I flew up here, and I get to meet them for the first time, and I'm scared. And uh, so I did what anybody does when they're scared. I crashed their car. <laughs> and so if you're new here, you don't know that. Those of you that have been around here, you've given me a hard time about that. But I crashed their car, their newer car. And then, so my first thought when I visited here was that this was a great place that I'll never be back to. <laughs> and this is a great girl that there's no chance I'm going to get to marry now. Uh, so it was an incredible time. I remember uh, living with them and getting to see behind the scenes that way too when we first moved to this to Indiana, we were over in Illinois while I was doing grad school. And when we moved in, I just remember, uh, you know, like, hey, I've heard him preach. I've, I've seen a lot of things. And now to live in his home, I watched humility from both of them that just beyond anything I can put into words in this moment, the humility that was lived out was, it just impacted me in a big way. But there was still this intimidation and uh, so I remember one time uh, just being scared and terrified in the house, my then uh, four-year-old Caleb, who's now uh, almost nine, but he was four or three at the time, I think, maybe three at the time, and uh, we were in the house, and his grandma's watching a TV show. And uh, his, Caleb says, I'm going to turn the TV off. He declared it. I will turn this TV off. And he goes to walk to turn the TV off, and she said, don't turn that TV off. And he said, I'm going to turn the TV off. Don't turn that TV off, Caleb. And he turns it off. And I hear from behind me this loud, booming voice, which is probably louder in my memory than it was in reality. But it was just this powerful voice, Caleb, you turn that TV on right now. And I thought in the moment, son, get out of the way. I'm turning that TV on for you. (laughs) Ah, just terrified. But as we see in Nehemiah, and we learned last week in chapter one, uh, what we learned there, this principle that the more time you spend in the presence of somebody, the biggest difference it can make. And the relationship that's formed uh, from a spiritual hero um, and a a father-in-law now to be entrusted with this, it's not lost on me, the impact. But I want to challenge you, 28 and a half years is rare. Ministers don't hang out that long. This is rare. And so don't let it be lost on you. 28 28 and a half years of loving you, and you're not always easy to love, (laughs) and putting up with all kinds of things and studying more than any preacher I've ever known. He's put the time into mastering and learning God's word, but not just reading God's word, allowing it to read him. And it's been 
incredible. And so it's not lost on me what I'm getting the privilege and honor and opportunity to step into. This is a blessing. I want to bring your attention to just one verse in Nehemiah chapter 2, but let me set the stage for it. If you remember last week, Nehemiah begins to pray for his people. And as he's praying for his people, he uh, focuses on three things in his prayer. And we learn this. This should be three things we focus on in our prayer life. He focuses on the sovereignty or the power of God, his own need for a Savior, and then the promises of God spelled out in God's Word. And as we leave chapter 1, Nehemiah closes his prayer with a request of God. The only request in that prayer, Lord, please... Let me find favor in the eyes of this king. The king David just got done describing to us. A king who, if he wasn't pleased with the request, would just do away with you because everyone was expendable. And so as he enters into the palace in chapter 2, in the presence of King Artaxerxes, he's bringing him wine, and the king comes and notices something because of the closeness of their relationship and says, why is your face so sad? Your face shouldn't be that sad unless you're brokenhearted because I know you're not sick. And so Nehemiah, in that moment realizes, because he's kept his eyes open, how will God answer that prayer? And I remember being told by someone close to me once, why would you ever pray pray for something that you weren't willing to be the answer to? So Nehemiah prayed, Lord, help me find favor in the eyes of this king. I want to rebuild these walls. And now the opportunity presents itself. And as he's before the king, as he's before the king, he knows, maybe I'm not the answer to this prayer, but I'm willing to be. I'm willing to be the answer to this prayer. And, And so the king says, what is it that you would like? Because he says, I, why shouldn't I be upset? My people are in ruin. The, the walls are turned, born, uh, burned down. Everything's horrible. Why shouldn't I be upset? And then he's asked this question. The king says, okay, then what is it that you want? I trust you. We have this relationship. I know you're not out to get me. What is it that you want? And it's verse 4 I want to bring your attention to. Because Nehemiah says this. The king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. And what we learn here is a powerful principle about prayer that I want to mark my ministry with that I want this church to be all about. And it's that this, prayer is not a ritual that we use to open and close meetings. Prayer is not just this tool that you use when your kids are going chaotic to calm them down so you can serve dinner, right? Though it's effective when you do that, that's not the purpose of prayer. When I, when I read this passage, this verse in particular, I learn that prayer is about inviting God into every single moment of your life. Every moment, not just the beginning and the end, not just asking him for something and then thanking him for it, but right in the middle of it, right in the middle of the difficulty, right in the middle of all that you're called to do. It's, it's inviting God to pray. So we learn that for Nehemiah, the source of his leadership, he was a great leader. He cast vision. He followed through. He inspired people. He accomplished his goals. He's a great leader. And it'd be easy to look at leadership and characterize it as vision casting, goal setting, inspiring people. But the source of Nehemiah's leadership was his relationship with God. It was all about the relationship that he had with God. But let me, let me go to the other side of that and say, Nehemiah also understood that when he prayed to God, it wasn't just asking God to do something powerful and then trusting him to do it and stepping aside. He knew that when he prayed, it didn't mean he got to avoid the difficulty of leadership. To have to step into a role and cast vision. To have to step into a position and lead people somewhere that they weren't sure they wanted to go. To make decisions that weren't popular. To deal with opposition. To deal with persecution that we read about in this book. And ultimately, to clarify what God was doing and help people see that with clarity and pursue God's mission. He knew that it's not just about the prayer. The prayer is so important. Without the prayer, none of the other things are important. But it was also about being prepared. 
And as the rest of this chapter goes, chapter 5 through 8, the king says, okay, well, if you want to go do this, how long is it going to take? And Nehemiah was prepared with that answer. He said, here's how long it's going to take. It says he set a time. And Nehemiah says, but I'm also going to need all of these supplies that David said he arrived in town with. How did he know to arrive in town with enough to rebuild the walls, the temple, and his own home? The only way he knew is that he'd been not only praying, but he'd been planning. Not only praying and planning, but he was prepared. That when the opportunity presented itself, he was ready to courageously take a step forward because leadership requires courage. I love the way one author put it. Robert Quinn, he says this, leadership authors, when he reads all these leadership books, he says, leadership authors don't, do not understand that leadership means go forth and die because if they did understand this, they would not be enticed to write about it because people do not want to hear the message that leadership requires action and courage. Most people want to know how to get extraordinary results with minimum risk. Most people want to know how to get out-of-the-box results with in-the-box courage. But not Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, I've got this grandiose vision of the walls being rebuilt, and that's going to take a lot of courage. And so his prayer was, Lord, I'm willing. And when the Lord presented the opportunity, because the closeness of the relationship between he and God, he was ready to step forward into that position. Now I want to encourage you to approach decisions the same way. And I want to tell you that our church is going to be a church that is all about prayer. We're going to pray about everything, not just when we want to begin something and not just when we're finished with something. We're going to pray the whole way through and invite God to be a part of every single element of our lives. As a church, for my family and my prayers, that you will do the same for your family. That we won't just invite God into pieces of our lives. He will be a part of every single element. Because without him, when the opportunity presents itself to step forward with courage, the one thing we'll be lacking is the courage that only he can provide. And my prayer for our church is that we would step forward courageously. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And that's why I'm excited to invite all of our elders to make their way to the stage. These men lead courageously. They don't just pray and they don't just plan, they act. And as we read through Nehemiah for the rest of this sermon series and we think about the mission that God has put before this church, my prayer for all of us is that we would do the same. Step forward courageously and allow God to lead us to his mission. Hey, we are excited uh, to be here for this part of the service today. This is something that has been in the works behind the scenes for a long time. We've been making a lot of plans and thoughts, and I do want to reiterate just how important the book of Nehemiah has been to us as a group of elders. And, and uh, we've learned a long time ago that, that, that Nehemiah used prayer, planning, and action, and we've really been working and trying to make sure that we follow through with action um, when we feel like God's led us down a direction. So. Anyway, we, we are excited about today, and part of the reason we're excited is really because what we've been saying all along, and, and David and Rob both talked about it today, is this is a succession Sunday because David's not going anywhere. So so, so many times when you do something like this, there, there's, it's bittersweet because there's a downside, and somebody's moving on or somebody's leaving, and, and that is just not uh, what it is. So we're excited because we're getting the best of both worlds uh, from this point uh, forward here in, in David and Rob. And I think you can see uh, from what's been said today, that's a pretty uh, pretty cool thing to look forward to. So what we're doing now, we're going to have an ordination ceremony for Rob and as, as the leader and also as uh, one of our elders. So I'm going to turn it over to the rest of the guys to do that. Thank you, Don. 
Yeah, so we come to this time in our service to ordain Rob as our, our new lead minister and also to ordain him as a, as a fellow elder. I'm going to explain a little bit about the scriptural background of ordination. In John 15, 16, Jesus said, I have chosen you and ordained you. And the word ordained literally means to appoint or to put someone in a specific place to serve. And that's where Rob is now. Just like God did with Adam in the book of Genesis, the Lord took, man, took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Adam was ordained by God to live and serve in a specific place. The pattern continues in both the Old and the New Testaments. Leaders are set apart and consecrated by the Lord to serve him in unique ways. In Acts chapter 7, Joseph was ordained to be the, a ruler in the land of Egypt and used by God in that capacity to save his people during a time of fam, famine. In the book of Leviticus, Aaron and his sons were appointed to serve as priests. Acts chapter 13 tells us about how Paul and Barnabas were set apart by the church in Antioch to serve as missionaries, and that on their missionary journey, they planted churches and ordained men to serve in those churches as elders. So following this biblical example, we as elders feel led by God to ordain Rob, not only to serve as our lead minister, but also we've invited him to join our team of elders and serve as an elder as well. New Hope has a history of, of our lead minister and preacher serving as an elder. Ron DeLong was here in the mid-1980s, and he was an elder. But he had the gift of preaching, so his role as an elder was to be our, our preacher and our lead minister. He did this for several years in until 1988 when David came to, to become our, our lead minister. So just as Ron was an elder and preacher, we've asked Rob to do this as well. Our bylaws allow for this. There's a provision in our bylaws that the elders may appoint the minister to be an elder and to serve. And as we discuss this transition with Rob, he has that desire to be an elder. So we are going to do that this morning. So we want to take a moment to set Rob apart, to ask God's blessing on him, and to commission him to serve new hope in God's kingdom in his new capacity. We have some scriptures we want to read to Rob and, and then the charge to make. God's provided us uh, his word that we can use. Uh, and, and there's so many scriptures here that we could, we could speak on today. But we've chosen a few that reinforce the characteristics outlined in 1 Timothy uh, regarding leaders and, and elders. And I want to read a couple from the Old Testament. And then Mike's going to read a couple from the New Testament. From Joshua chapter 1. Verses 8 and 9, study this book continually, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and you shall have good success. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The book and the Lord give us power, but we also have to have humility. So from Jeremiah chapter 9, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his wealth, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I, may, that I, am, the Lord, that I am the Lord. Uh, 
As Bill said, what better guidelines as we move forward with the new leadership, what better guidelines do we have than God's word? And so a couple of verses out of the New Testament, first out of Ephesians. And God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then in Second Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge to preach the word, be prepared in seasons and out of seasons, correct, rebuke, and encourage. With great patience and careful instruction, keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given to you. Rob, if you'd come forward and kneel, we will talk the charter now. Rob, our brother in Christ and fellow servant, we give you this charge today. Our kind and gracious God has called us to work in partnership with him, and it's our privilege to participate in his plan to lead others to know Jesus and believe in him. So we're setting you aside for God's blessing, believing that he has put you here in this church for this time and this season of ministry so that you can serve New Hope as one of our elders and as our new lead minister. May God empower you with his Holy Spirit and enrich your heart with his awesome love and hope so that you can serve him in this way. And now we've asked two of our founding elders to pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you at this time for Rob, the way that you have worked in his life. I was a teenager. You came to him through a friend who asked him to play basketball with him, and that this friend had courage to talk to him about Christ. And through that, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And then, dear Lord, because of his interest in the Word, he became a student at a Bible college. He then met Sarah, who led him to the Born family, who helped him in his faith to grow stronger and stronger. And then you brought him here at New Hope. So all through his life, you've had an influence, you've had leading, and we just thank you for that. We thank you now for this opportunity to have him as our leader. Lord, I want to pray for Rob and his family. I thank you for the faith that they have, and I pray that that would remain strong. I pray that your spirit would remain with them, grant them the qualities that they need to be good leaders. And we just thank you for that. When we do that, Lord, we, we do thank you for memories and uh, things that we remember from the past. But we know that you want us to be forward-looking always. So I pray for each family here this morning that we'd be drawn closer to you that we would allow your spirit to work in our lives more actively today and each day following. The results would be that we'd be stronger people for you. I do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>